0: Finding your people. Human connection is a real need that God put in us. It's an actual real need. The need for human connection, the need to be a part of a group, to have people that you share your experiences of life with, you share deeper things with, you know, you just go through life with family, friends, co workers. Different types of peers were meant to be living in relationship with other people. Now, you got your extroverts and your introverts. You know, some people need a lot of human interaction, some people don't need so much. Uh, I am a very strong introvert, which always shocks people. But even as a strong introvert, I still very much love people. You know, I, I love people, and I don't think that introvert, extrovert has anything to do with whether or not you love people, because I've seen some extroverts that just do not care about other people, and there's extroverts that absolutely love people, and there's introverts that don't care about people, and there's introverts that love people, and so I'm a very strong introvert. I can spend a lot of time by myself. Last year, year and a half ago, I took an eight-day solo trip in the Boundary Waters, and uh I just came out because it was going to rain and everything was dry, so I thought I might as well go home while I'm dry. But, uh, you know, eight days by myself, solitude, not a problem. It was fantastic. I loved it. I need to do that again. But, you know, for some people, two hours by themselves is going to drive them crazy. They need to be on their phone or they need to connect with somebody. But for me, very strong introvert. I can spend a lot of time by myself and not notice that uh, I'm by myself. But at the same time, I very much love people. I very much care about people. And this is my motivation for ministry. You know, I I didn't want to become a pastor because I, I just need human interaction. I became a pastor because I wanted to help people. I believe God is real. He actually cares about you and you have a right to know that because it's actually very important that you find God and learn how to walk with God and receive the good things of God, including new life here and everlasting life in the age to come. It's actually really, really important. And so I wanted to be someone who proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ, not because I want to talk and have people hear me, but because I want you to know that there truly is a God in heaven that loves you and that he can make it right. Open your heart to him. That's what I want. So it's because of loving people that God called me into this life. Here's the deal. The need for human connection is both emotional and practical. You know, like this is a real need. It's very important. It's both emotional and practical. I'd even say it's a spiritual need. But even though, like, for example, I'm a strong introvert, I still have a very practical need for human interaction in that, you know, a pastor without a congregation doesn't really amount to much. You know, a preacher without somebody to hear doesn't really amount to anything. You know, I might as well be just talking to myself in the mirror in the bathroom. Uh, I have a very practical need for a social network, for a connection of people. Uh, it's very important for me because otherwise my life just doesn't work. So it's not just The introvert, extrovert, what causes you to recharge? Do you love people or not care about people? It's also just about a practical reality that we need one another. And that's how God has designed it. He's designed it so that we need one another. And also people who have healthy relationships both live longer and have a higher quality of life. Who doesn't want improvement in life in both quality and quantity? Good, strong relationships, healthy relationships help in every way. And I do think that this kind of snowballs. You know, like if we have high quality of life, then that's going to make it easier to have good relationships. If we have good relationships, that's going to improve our quality of life. So I think it can snowball in either direction where you got some good people in your life and they're helping you have a better life and then that makes everything easier or you've got some horrible relationships and all kinds of dysfunction, which causes you to have a low quality of life and then let's say you you start self-medicating and then that destroys the other relationships and it snowballs the other way. So I think this, it can snowball in either direction, but the reality is, is healthy relationships are very, very important. And I personally am so thankful For the positive family relationships, friend relationships, and church relationships that I have. There's always challenges, but uh, I got to tell you, I've got it better than most. I'm so thankful for the good relationships that I have. And I hope that you've got great relationships. And if not, then that's where we're going to dig in here and try to find it. So as followers of Jesus, we are called into a massive family called the body of Christ. The church, the followers of Jesus is a big, massive family and we're to encourage one another. When you read the word brother or sister in the New Testament, it usually means a fellow believer. If we're talking about the brothers and sisters, then that is the other people that trust in Jesus. So it's a clear indication that this is a big family. That's how it's supposed to work. So let's paint the picture of how the family, the body of Christ is supposed to work. Let's look at two kind of concepts in the scriptures and then let's look at how it was working in the very, very early church. So we're gonna start in the gospel of John in chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And Jesus says this to his uh, disciples at the last supper. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus is saying that it's a commandment to love one another. Now, has love your neighbor and that sort of stuff been there before for sure, but the the big thing that gets added here is as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And this is also I do believe for your brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to, of course, love our neighbor, uh, love our enemies, but we are also very strongly called to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. So this family is a family that loves one another. And then John chapter 17 is a fantastic section of scripture that is where Jesus is praying for the people who will believe in him in the future. If you're a believer in Jesus, you know, that's you and me. This is who Jesus is praying for in this very long prayer in John chapter 17, but he prays for the ones that are following him at that time. He also prays for those who are coming in the future. So let's read what Jesus prays here. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, I think two major concepts in there that are just incredible. But before we even talk about that, let me ask you this question. Who answers this prayer? Jesus prayed for the people who believe in him to be unified. Now, all of them, all the people who claim Jesus as their Lord, Jesus as their savior, all of those people Jesus is praying would be unified into one beautiful family, one body. So he's praying for that group And who answers that prayer? Well, I tell you what, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you've got a piece of it. I've got a piece of it. I mean, that's amazing. We're always praying to God to answer our prayers. And here Jesus prays that we would be unified, that we would stand together under Christ, even in the midst of our differences, that we would be unified in Him. And uh, we're the ones that have a piece of answering Jesus' prayer. You know, like, I don't see any other situation like that, except maybe, you know, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers. But let's be part of the answer to the prayer that Jesus prays. So let's be unified. Let's be part of answering that prayer. And so the two pieces are that we would stand together. You know, he prays that we would stand together, that we would be unified Just as the Father and the Son are unified, so the believers, Jesus prays, would be unified. Now, that's a profound unity. That's amazing. And I don't know that we're doing real great with that, but this is what Jesus prays. And then verse 20 and also verse 23, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. So there is a purpose behind this. If we stand unified, then that represents God well and people understand who he is. The world will believe in Jesus because we stand unified. Again, in verse 23, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So we represent God well when we love one another, when we stand unified together So that is one of the primary characteristics of this big family called the body of Christ is that we stand unified in love, encouraging and strengthening one another. Doesn't that sound good? And then also... The second thing that's part of this is that this is a purposeful team. You know, have you ever been part of a group that loved one another, encouraged and strengthened one another and had a purpose? May they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's a purpose behind this. And that purpose is expressly stated in uh, Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, which we affectionately call the Great Commission, which is the commissioning of the church, the believers in Jesus, to bring the message of the gospel to the world. Let it not be the great omission. This is the Great Commission. So let's, let's look at this, verses 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now Jesus had just, you know, very recently risen from the dead. And so they had good reason to believe that all authority had been given. To him. This is a big deal. And he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are to go and make disciples of all nations. That means baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it means teaching them to obey the things of God, to walk in the ways of God. And so this is the purpose of the church, the one unified body of Christ that loves each other. We are here to bring the gospel message to the world and help people learn how to follow Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, we see this stated a little bit more broadly, this section of scripture, verses 11 through 16, I think is just amazing. And really it, it helps to describe the reality that this group, the people who believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, that group, we are to stand together and we are all to work towards a common goal. And that is the great commission to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them the ways of God. We, of course, need to be baptized and walk in the ways of God, but then we're to be banded together in love, unified on this purpose. And so sometimes people can think, well, that's what the pastor is supposed to do. But that's not the biblical model. The biblical model is all of us working together for the Great Commission, loving and encouraging each other, strengthening one another, while at the same time being part of this eternal purpose. This is a purposeful group, unified and purposeful. Let's go to Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. It says this, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. So Jesus appoints these. People are called into these ministries for what purpose? Verse 12, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Each part does its work. The leaders are there to equip the followers of Jesus for these works of service, to get the job done, to be part of the cause of Christ. And that also allows us to grab hold of truth, to not be blown here and there by every wind of teaching. And let me tell you, that is getting worse in the in the misinformation age, in the internet age. You know, if you're watching on YouTube or other internet means, Hallelujah. But at the same time, man, you got to be careful who you listen to. You know, you don't want to just be listening to anybody you hear on the internet and me included. Check this stuff out. Read the scriptures for yourself. Go ahead and dig into this. Find out what's really going on. Don't just believe whatever you hear on the internet because then you can be blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming, as well as AI algorithms. You know, like let's not be Naive and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, but instead we speak the truth in love to one another. We encourage and strengthen each other and we grab hold of the good things of God. So the body of Christ is one unified body that loves each other and is purposeful. We're part of a team trying to accomplish something. And I tell you, I learned how to be on a team when I was a kid in sports when I was part of theater productions. It's great to be part of a team that has that camaraderie and that is trying to accomplish something. And then when you, when you succeed, it's just exhilarating. And that's what we're supposed to have as the body of Christ. 2,000 years ago, we got off to a really good start. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we see the, the beginning of the New Testament church on the day of Pentecost, And Peter, the great apostle, is preaching to the people and we're going to pick it up, you know, at the end of the great sermon on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people get saved and then it describes how the early church interacted with each other and how the situation was working. So let's do Acts 2 starting in verse 37, we'll go to verse 47. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. It was a pretty big day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I tell you, when I read that description of what that first christian revival (laughs) was like i just think it's amazing they devoted themselves to four things you know i think we should pay attention to this four things they devoted themselves to it says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching what is that well for us that's the bible you know the the teachings of god through the apostles that's the bible You know, I think we we need to get these principles down. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We do that by reading the Bible and putting it into practice. They devoted themselves to fellowship. That means they devoted themselves to each other. They devoted themselves to being good brothers and sisters in Christ to one another. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. So this is basically their, their agape feasts where they would get together and they would basically have a potluck and communion, holy communion mixed together in one big event. And, uh, you know, it was a beautiful time of sharing both the goodness of God and some food together. Holy communion, remembering what Jesus had done for them, rejoicing in that and sharing it with food with one another. And they also devoted themselves to prayer talk about four wonderful things to devote themselves to. And there were all kinds of signs and wonders. Miracles were happening. It says many wonders and signs. So it was not like, hey, four years ago, this awesome thing happened. I mean, it was a regular occurrence that was going on, which is just amazing. You know, I like that. And then everyone shared with each other. You know, they would sell property and possessions just to To stay together and to not be encumbered by the things of the world. They would just share so no one was in need. And, you know, they met together all the time. They met together daily in the temple courts. So they were meeting in the big group in the temple courts and they also met together in homes and shared the good things of God with one another in those more intimate settings as well. So they had church. Every day, and they had small groups as well, to use our own terminology there. And besides that, they enjoyed the favor of all the people. So like the people that saw them were like, hey, you guys are awesome. You know, this is fantastic. Whatever's going on with you, we like you. And daily people were being saved. You know, Uh, Peter had pleaded with them to save themselves from this corrupt generation by repenting and being baptized and receiving the Holy Spirit and learning to walk in the ways of God. And there were people every day being added to their number because they were being saved. They're being brought in. What an incredible, beautiful, glorious moment. But then it just didn't last. It got to be kind of a mess. We'll read some descriptions of what the Apostle Paul... (laughs) says of the of the early church, you know, some many years later, uh, but still this same generation. And There became a famine in the land, you know, they'd all given away all their stuff and then they had to take special offerings and bring them to Jerusalem to help the brothers and sisters because they didn't have any resources, you know, so the the economic plan kind of broke down and, and there got to be infighting and problems and let's look at how this is described. Let's go to Romans chapter 2, 23 and 24. This beautiful picture turns into this. You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law, as it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, and then first corinthians eleven seventeen Paul also writes in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. So we've got uh, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, meaning that they're very much misrepresenting God. And so that's causing people to blaspheme God. You know, when Christians act stupid, people don't just hate the Christians, they hate God, they dismiss God, and you don't want to put people in that position by being bad at following Jesus and causing people to blaspheme Jesus. You don't want to do that. And also he says to the Corinthians, your meetings do more harm than good. So, you know, I don't want to overstate the negative. There was a lot of good stuff going on, but it had also fallen apart. The beautiful picture of the devotion to the scriptures and to one another and to their agape feasts and to prayer and meeting together every day in the temple courts and breaking bread together in people's homes and miracles happening all the time and people coming in every day, like new people believing in Jesus and being added in and all the people Having favor on the believers, you know, then persecution breaks out, then the economy crashes, then, you know, there's infighting and oh, and it just turns into a big mess. Have you ever had a beautiful thing in the Lord go funny over time? You know, like you're part of this church and it's just going great and everything is wonderful and then it falls apart. Ever had something like that happen? You've got this wonderful small group, a great group of friends, and then something yucky thing happens and it all crumbles. Have you been part of that? Me too. You can't recreate the past. Too many people are trying to, oh, if I could only have the church I was in in the 80s or whatever it is, you know, if I could only get back to that. Well, you can't. You can go forward today. That's all you can do. Walk by faith today. Next time, When we get together, we're going to talk about how to walk through the tension between the beauty of our expectation of the body of Christ and the reality. You know, this picture from Acts chapter 2, and then the reality of your meetings do more harm than good. (laughs) The name of the Lord is blasphemed in your area because of you. You know, the people are blaspheming God because you're acting like a fool, you know. All of that stuff, we're going to talk about the tension between what we expect and the beautiful picture that we see in the scriptures and things that we've experienced, those beautiful things, and then the harsh realities. We're going to talk about that next time, so don't miss that. Last month, we talked about discerning the body of Christ when we received Holy Communion. And that's something that went wrong back in Bible times, New Testament times, and it's clearly something that's gone wrong in today's world. And since we're talking about finding your people and being part of the body of Christ, part of the family of God, then we do need to discern the body of Christ. And so it fits in perfectly to Holy Communion. So I want to go over those scriptures in 1 Corinthians. We already read 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. 17. Uh, you know, your meetings do more harm than good. And so it fits in perfectly to what we're talking about this time. So let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians and we'll start in chapter 10, reading verses 15 through 17. And we get a picture here of Holy Communion. And again, this is the agape feast. It's sharing the love of God through feasting together, uh, remembering what Jesus has done for us, his broken body, his shed blood, the healing we receive, the forgiveness we receive, and then sharing that with one another. That's how it's supposed to work. So let's look at these scriptures here. 1 Corinthians 10, 15 through 17 says, I speak to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ. And is not the bread we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. So what Paul is saying here is that we are united under Christ. It's not that we're united because we all like the same football team or we all like sports or we all have the same political perspective or, you know, whatever. We all like the same styles of music. It's not that we're united under Christ because we receive Holy Communion. And anyone who receives Holy Communion is someone who is a brother and a sister to me. So we have the bread and we have the cup that we participate in, and anyone who participates in Holy Communion is a brother or a sister, is united with anyone else who does the same. That's what it's saying there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Then in chapter 11, we get into that verse. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. I'm going to read through this section. I think it's good to do... Public reading of scripture, we'll read down to verse 32. And then we're just gonna talk about two very basic principles. As we read through this, follow along, listen, try to understand what Paul is talking about because their agape feasts had deteriorated and they were no longer receiving holy communion and devoting themselves to one another, but it had gotten selfish and gotten to be a big mess. So let's read that again. Verse 17 through... 32 In the following directives I have no praise for you for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place I hear that when you come together as a church there are divisions among you and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together it is not the Lord's supper you eat for when you are eating some of you go ahead with your own private suppers as a result one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So lots and lots of important stuff in there. But I just want to talk about two main things. First one is what has Jesus done for us? They tell you the wages of sin is death. God has a perfect plan. We sort of saw the beauty of of the beginning of the New Testament church and his plan for heaven, for the eternal kingdom of God is way better than that. But if we're going to wreck it, then we need to be eliminated. And so the wages of sin is death. The people who are going to destroy heaven must not be allowed to go. And guess what? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're in a world of hurt, but God loves us even in our sins. So Jesus came, he paid the price for us so that we could be redeemed, we could be bought back from sin, we could be given new life, we could be sanctified, set apart to God and learn the ways of God so that then we can participate in heaven without ruining it. And so Jesus has sacrificed on the cross so that we could be set free and receive everlasting life. This is what Jesus has done for us. And then it also says that we should examine ourselves. We need to trust in Jesus for forgiveness, but also in his transforming power so that we aren't condemned with the world. We don't want that. What we want is freedom. What we want is everlasting life. And so let's thank Jesus, remember him for what he's done and let's examine ourselves. So heavenly father, we thank you for your goodness. And Lord Jesus, we remember what you've done. If this world all falls away We pledge our faith to you. We will trust in you and we will remember that you sacrificed for us, that your love for us was so great that you were willing to go to the cross. You were willing to shed your blood. You were willing to go through that so that we could be redeemed. And so we remember you and we honor you, Lord Jesus. And Father, help us as we look into our hearts to see, help us to discern, help us to be disciplined by you and to believe both in your forgiveness and your transforming power. But let us not pretend that we're perfect. Let us not pretend we've got everything just right in our lives and everybody else is the ones who are messed up. But Lord, let us look inside of ourselves, discerning your body, being part of your family, but also looking into our hearts for any hidden sin, any darkness in our hearts that needs to be dealt with. And Lord, we we open ourselves to you and we say, deal with us at that level. Change us from the inside out because you are forgiving and merciful, but you are also transforming and you change us and you lift us up. So we thank you, Lord, for that. We honor you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.